that that song has everything in it that the gospel has. The father turning his back upon his only begotten son. And you wonder, what kind of love is that? Well, you see, the love of God the Father was not just for the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was for every individual that Christ was going to die for, and he had to die to be their substitute. And so that was the Father's will, that the Lord Jesus Christ die, shed his blood. Now, man didn't make up this, these rules. Man had never would have thought of such a thing as being redeemed by blood, especially when we know that blood is the life source of a body. So we don't like the idea of sacrifices. And I'm sure that all those nations that were around the nation of Israel when they were beginning and while they were in power and all, hated those people for killing so many animals for the sacrifices. But God had set up that system just pointing to the one time that the Lord Jesus Christ would shed his blood. So millions and millions of animals were sacrificed and blood flowed like crazy through the nation of Israel waiting for that one sacrifice. Now it's all over. There are no more sacrifices. In fact, when our Lord said it is finished in the... Uh, veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That was the end of organized religion. There's, there's no more priesthood, even though they pretend to be. The Jews immediately sewed that thing back up and tried to make it secret again, but that didn't work. And then uh, along come other religions and they develop a priesthood and they have robes and they have all the trappings that the Jewish religion had. But they, hey, the end of priesthood, end of organized religion. The Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is our religion. There's no, no uh, merit in saying you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Catholic or a Muslim or anything. Christ is our religion. There's no comparisons to it. You know, you go to school and they want to teach you comparative religions. Take all the religions in the world and they say they're all equal if the people really, truly, sincerely believe in it. There's no comparison. There's only one living Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is so real that our birthdays reflect back to his birth. So when you ask somebody, how old are you? And they say, well, I'm 17 years old. I was born in uh, whatever year, you know, 1950. That means 1950 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where your birthday even comes from. So people say, no, I'm an atheist. I don't. Hey, their very birth shows that the Lord Jesus Christ is real, okay? This was a great song to start our service with tonight because every, everything's in it. Uh, there was something else I wanted to mention. One day the Lord convinced me, he says, that I was lost and vile. Only the Lord can do that. Only the Lord does it to a very few people in the whole world. Show them that they're lost. Oh, they can be healthy, smart, talented, 
popular, that has nothing to do with their salvation or meriting anything. Some people try to be as good as they can all of their life. They're morally clean. They think they are. You know, no matter how morally clean you are outwardly, your mind is going to let you know that you're not. The mind and your heart dream up all of these lustful things in your heart and mind, even though you never put it into practice. And our Lord said that the law takes in thoughts as well as actions. So when our Lord come out and said, if you look on a woman even to lust after her, you have committed adultery already in your heart. So where does that leave everybody? Guilty. Well, he said, if you even sass your parents, you're guilty. Kids do that sometime or other, always. Or if you tell a lie, or if you steal something, even no matter how little it is, you're guilty. You've already a sinner, okay? But still in all, God has to impress that upon your heart. That's why he says, one day the Lord convinced me that I was lost and vile, I hated him by nature, my soul was so defiled. Now here's the great part. I begged for mercy at his feet. There I took my place and kept right on a begging till he saved me by his grace. Now I heard about Brother Hale coming to the Lord. He was a cowboy. He was over at Tallysheik, Louisiana, a foreman of the ranch for Mr. Blossman, very rich oil man. And uh, Brother Hale went to a tent meeting that Brother Shelton had over there, and even though he was a church member and a very nice fellow, the Lord took the word lost home to his heart. He couldn't pull it out. And that's when the Lord showed him that he was a lost, guilty sinner who had never repented and had never known the depths of his own heart. So he rode a horse, he rode a tractor, and day after day, day after day, on the horse or on the tractor, he'd be crying unto the Lord, have mercy on me, that's what he says. And he says, I kept right on a begging till he saved me by his grace in about three months. The Lord Jesus Christ was revealed to his heart as his. Now that's the greatest moment in a person's life. And that's what Brother Hale was telling you about. But he never got over the fact that he was just a beggar and that it was his sins that wounded Christ. Now see, how can you say that? Well, you see, if there was only one person in the world that God intended to save, Let's just say it's Brother Brown. The only person in the world that God was going to save. The Lord Jesus Christ would still have to keep the law perfectly every moment of his life to gain eternal life so he could give it to Brother Brown. Every moment of his life kept the law perfectly, word, thought, and deed. And then because Brother Brown's a sinner... He would have to shed his perfect, spotless, sinless blood 
and die in order to pay for Brother Brown's sins. So, no matter how many God intended to do that for, or how few, it would still have to take in our Lord keeping the law perfectly all of his life and then dying as a substitute. But because he is God, he has done that for millions that have become believers in him. And they're believers in him because God's Spirit draws them to Christ. He lets them know that they're lost and vile. They all become a beggar. They all ask for mercy, and mercy is granted to them. And then our Brother Hale finishes the song by the great hope of a believer. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again in a body, not a spirit. He has a body. He has a resurrected body, a perfect body. And when he comes back, he's going to give all believers a body just like his. See, we're body people. We're not spirits. Even though when a believer dies now, their soul goes to be with Christ, he's going to bring that soul back and give it a new body. So we all have new bodies, and that's what the hope of the believer is. Brother Hale says, I know I don't deserve it, but I'll be there by his side. And that'll be the only time we can really thank him and praise him because we're so sinful as we are in these bodies. And when we have our new bodies that'll never sin again, we'll really be able to thank him and praise him as our heart feels like it. So that's why I love that song. And Sean, if you want a set of Brother Hale's tapes and the songbook, you can have it. I'll give you one if you want to play them any time or even you think about them. And if you don't have a Bible, I'll give you the Bible you're using there. That's I give them the, all the prisoners in the jail or anybody that wants it. Because it's very important. This is a roadmap to heaven. No other book in the world tells you how God saves a sinner. So tonight, let's continue on with John 18. It's in, uh, on page 1590. 1590. And we got down as far as verse 23, 24. This uh, officer strikes the Lord Jesus Christ across the face. And... Nobody in any court has jurisdiction to do that. A person is innocent until found guilty. And uh, you see our Lord already in the eyes of the Jewish religion had lost his freedom, had lost everything, when just a mere officer, not even a religious person, can smite him and the high priest says nothing. This man doesn't get reprimanded. Our Lord says, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now verse 24. Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. And mind you, our Lord is bound while he's being hit, so there's no defense whatsoever. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and they said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? 
And he denied it and said, I am not. Before this all happened in the garden, Peter said, Lord, even if they want to kill me, I'll not deny you. I'd rather die than deny you. So his, his, his intentions were great. And a lot of times we have great intentions also. But how they fail us in a crucial time. He denied it, said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off. So here they got some family members. The servant had his ear cut off. But here's a kinsman, maybe a cousin, something on that order. There also in the crowd said, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? It's easy to still recognize Peter with his big mouth and uh, probably boisterous self. Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Our Lord said, you know, you're going to deny me before the cock even crows three times. You're going to deny me twice. Matthew 26, 14. Let me see that. Matthew 26, 14. scripture I want. What is it? 17? No. 26, 17? 34. Yeah. 34. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times or thrice. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And likewise also said all the disciples. That's on page 1453. 1453. And we read it one more time. Verse 34. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, That this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. That's three times. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And likewise also said all the disciples. Okay. So let's go back to John 18. So when... Uh, I'm going to look just a moment in Luke. I think it's going to tell us what happened after uh, Peter went out and cried bitterly, though. 
when he did denying. Twenty-three. What? Twenty-two sixty-two. Okay. Luke twenty-two sixty-two. Let's read sixty-one along with it. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Okay. It wasn't too late to repent. Peter loved him. Peter was human. Peter was like you and I, can be easily intimidated by man. Okay, verse 28, John 18, page 1591. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now, what is this? These are the hypocritical Jews not going to go into a Gentile establishment. Okay, the judgment hall was Gentile. And they had made some rules that said if you defile yourself by going into a Gentile dwelling, you can't eat the Passover. Well, they're so very, very religious that they're not going to go in there. They're going to call, send him in with the soldiers. And then Pilate has to come out and talk with them. It's interesting, huh? How people can be so hypocritical. They're trying to kill this guy. They've got murder on their mind, and yet they don't want to defile themselves by going into the judgment hall. Verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Not, not a true answer. You see, they knew that Pilate was not interested in their religious rules, things that they had made up in their religion. So the accusation that they had over with Caiaphas was that he was a blasphemer. Okay, he said he was God. That wouldn't hold with Pilate. Pilate could care less what somebody said about the Jewish religion. So they're not answering straight or truthfully. Then said Pilate unto them, Well, take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore send him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death. What a lie that is. The Jews' law said they could stone anybody for a whole bunch of crimes. For instance, uh, one of the things was when they brought that woman to the Lord who said she was caught in the very act of adultery. Of course, they didn't bring the man. If they were caught in the act, the man was there in the act, but they didn't bring him. They brought a woman. And it says, according to the law, she should be stoned. So that's just one of their 
ways of putting somebody to death. But you see, God is also interfering into the whole setup. Our Lord said that he had to be raised up. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I think it's in John 3. Let me just take a peek where that's even mentioned again. Uh, John 3, in verse 14, verse, page 1558. Page 1558. Down on the bottom of the page, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, that's a prophecy. I want to show you a prophecy much older than that. At least 700 years before Christ was born, we have a prophecy in Psalm 22 that says he was going to be crucified. So let's turn over to Psalm 22 just for a second. Psalm 22. Verse 16. That's on page 879. 879. Verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. That's crucifixion. What did the soldiers do who were watching? Remember how they... Didn't want to cut his coat up, so they gambled for it. Look at the next verse. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Seven hundred and some years before Christ is born, there's a prophecy about his death, even to the soldiers gambling for his robe. Isn't that interesting? There's no other book like this Bible. Everything it says in it is going to come to pass. Many, many things have already come to pass. There's a lot left yet to come to pass, particularly our Lord's second coming. All right, back to John 18. So they lied about the reason. They wanted him dead because he said he was a, they said he was a blasphemer. That's not going to work with Pilate. It's not going to work with Rome. There's got to be something... More than that. So when a pilot says, you kill him, they says, we have a law that says we can't do it, and they lied again. But verse 32 says that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. It had to be by crucifixion, because it was prophesied. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Now, Pilate is an unawakened sinner. Care less about Jewish religion. Probably care less about any religion except that Caesar was king, and at that time Caesar was calling himself God. Okay? He was to be worshipped. And Caesar was 
his boss. So our Lord says, did, uh, is this your idea or did somebody tell you? And Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? He said, no, I don't know anything about you. But I've heard said that you are a king. Now, that's dangerous in a way for Pilate. Because the, previous to this, there had been some, several people of the Jewish nation that rebelled against Rome, and their rebellion had to be put down. They wanted to be freed of Rome, and they gathered a group of people and... Uh, it didn't take long to put them down. But anybody that said they were a king was a little competition with Caesar. Well, our Lord's going to answer him truthfully. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So here he's saying that he is a king. He has a kingdom, but it's not in this world. So that's a relief to Pilate. There's going to be no opposition, no fighting, no army. If it's not of this world, it's make-believe. The man must be a nut, a lunatic. He's got a kingdom that's not in this world. Ha, ha, ha. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? You say you got a kingdom that's not in this world, then are you the king there? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. And to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Uh-oh. Remember, Pilate said, what is truth, huh? Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. What is truth, really? What do we know about truth? Pilate says, what is truth? Everybody says they got truth and nobody really knows what it is. What does the Bible tell us truth is? Well, turn to John 14, 6. Back up a couple pages. Just a few pages. John 14, 6. Thomas had asked him a question saying, we don't know how you're going or where you're going. Thomas was a little dense at times, like most of us are. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You understand how, how complete that is? That there's no competition, no comparison? You can't get to the Father but through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. I've told you several times, and it's, it's always in my mind when I was on Okinawa this doctor in Naha had uh, 
kids that went to high school there, a small school. One of the boys played tennis. And uh, it was hard for them to get tennis rackets or balls, so I, I gave him a racket and I got balls out of the uh, our recreation area, taught the kid, played with him, and he won his little school championship. So when the doctor found out that we were about to get shipped back to the States, he invited me and a couple of friends over to his place in Naha, a house, bamboo house, we sat on the floor, floor spotless wood. And they had various things to drink, sake for some of the us, but he gave me sweetened condensed milk, a can of Borden sweetened condensed milk. Well, how they got it, I don't know, but that's what I had. And the, somehow the conversation got on religion, and he, this is what he said. He said, you as... Christians, and you know, I was supposed to be a Christian, didn't know the first thing about how God saved sinner at the time, but anyhow, I was representing Christianity. And he says, you go up one side of the mountain, and we Buddhists go up the other side of the mountain, and we both reach the top, and we both meet God. Well, that sounded pretty good. I didn't have any answer for that. I didn't know that no man comes to the Father but by me. Buddhist, Mohammedist, anything, they're not going to make it. They'll never get to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God. Okay? So that's one explanation of the truth. What is truth? Truth is Christ. Now turn to John 17, 17. And uh, this is our Lord's Prayer, and he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we have this written word is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the living word. He is truth. They both go together. They're very synonymous. See, if you turn to John 1.1, 1, 1, you have the description of the Lord Jesus Christ being called the word. John 1.1 1, 1 is on page 1554. Verse 1, In the beginning was the word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Simple, sixth-grade words. Anybody can understand it. Whoever this Word was, he was God. He was in the beginning with God. In fact, verse 2 is going to amplify it. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, which is showing you that this Word is the Creator. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now look at verse 14, right across from verse 3. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt with us. So this Word, who was God, became a human. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He became one of us, dwelt among us. So you see how closely the written Word and the living Word are compared. They both are the truth. Okay? 
So if you turn back to John 18, page 1591, and when our Lord says, Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice, uh, that's an interesting little thing too, heareth my voice. Does everybody in the world hear his voice? No, I wouldn't say so. Uh, while you're there in the book of John, turn to John 10, 4. John 10, verse 4. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. All right, stay in John 10, but look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, God's people are called sheep. Whatever is written in God's word, they hear it, they know it, they love it, they memorize it, they live in it. He says, and they follow me. They want to do whatever God tells them to do through the word. You don't get any outward voices or any directions, what visions or anything. You don't get no more of that. God's word is complete. This is our instruction book. So they follow me. The great thing there, though, look at verse 20. I give unto them eternal life. The sheep. As dumb, as stupid as sheep are, he says, I give unto them eternal life. Now, can you beat that? Eternal life? We don't deserve it. We've deserved to go to hell because we're sinners. But by being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get eternal life. All you have to do is know him, believe him. And you learn about him through the word. Well, let's go to verse 38 now in John 18. And Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Now, they've got that written as a question question mark after it. I don't know if it was a question or not. It depends on how you say it. What is truth? Like it's a, a joke. Was he really inquiring what is truth? Or was he being sarcastic and saying, huh, what's truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. What does that tell you? That tells you that it was in negation, sarcasm. He immediately turns from our Lord and goes out and asks the crowd a question. So he wasn't inquiring what is truth because he doesn't think truth exists. Anybody can say something and it'll be truth to them. And it's like that today. Everybody has their own opinion about everything. But what is truth? The Lord Jesus Christ, and he is truth, and the word is truth, and it's the only truth that's worth having. But Pilate goes on and says, I find no fault in him. That should let him go. But you see, God is in this. God is not going to let him go. God overrules the mistakes of people, their lies, anything, their feelings. 
Pilate had feelings, he had nothing against this man. The Jews had feelings, they wanted him killed because he said he, he was God. He, they said he was a blasphemer. Pilate says, put him to death then. He's yours. They said, we can't. Lies, counter lies, counter feelings. But God is directing the show. The Lord Jesus Christ must be crucified, and that's a Roman death, not a Jewish death. Jews never crucified anybody. They stoned them. The Romans invented crucifixion. So Pilate's thinking, I can get him out of this. Verse 39. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. So they must have been playing games. Whenever a Passover was, and it was a bunch supposed to be some execution. And this is what's so interesting also. At the time of the Passover, now this is so very, very important to the Jews. They're the commemorating, the remembering, and celebrating of the Passover. The, the, the death angel going over Egypt and killing all the firstborn, and then the children of Israel marching out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. This was a, a great celebration. So what do the Romans do when they have their celebration? This is when they're going to execute their criminals. They're going to have an execution. At the same time, the Jews are going to slay their animals. So they make up a custom. I'm going to get one criminal gets released, gets freed, so you can choose. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Interesting, huh? Now we have substitution again. The Lord Jesus Christ is to be the substitute for Barabbas. God is in this. Our Lord has to be crucified. And regardless of what man did or could do, nothing could stop the Lord Jesus Christ from being a surety for his people. We need a surety. We need a substitute. Everybody. Everybody in the world needs this substitute. But nobody is made aware of it except in very, very few instances. There's very few preachers that preach a definite need of a substitute. One who you've got to know and come to. And you don't come to Christ by joining a church or by reading your Bible or being good. You will come to church. You will read your Bible. But you will know that you need mercy. And only the Holy Spirit can bring you down and teach you that. As you read God's word, you see that Christ never refused anybody that asked for mercy. People don't want to do that today. They're too proud. They're too, too free. You know, even the Jews themselves and the Lord said, you know, the truth shall make you free. And then they say, hey, we ain't never been in bondage to any man. And they lied. 
I mean, human beings are liars from day one. Let me see where that is. I think that's just back here a couple of pages. Uh, 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 John 8 and page 1571, verse 30. As he spake these words, many believed in him. Okay, well, modern Baptists and everybody said, if you believe in Jesus, you're okay. Here it says, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Speaking about himself. And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And here they are, held captive by the Roman government. They are slaves to the Roman government. The Roman government has overcome Israel and are ruling it. It's a wonder they even leave these people live. And they got the nerve to say, We've never been in bondage to any man. They were in Babylon, held captive, for 70 years under Nebuchadnezzar and his sons. You see, these people were believers, but they're very, very proud, and they're also liars. In verse 36, the Lord says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. They don't like that. And as you read the rest of the chapter... When you finish in verse 59 of John 8, you're going to see that these believers, these that believed in Jesus, took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They hated him, and yet they, it says they believed on him. So just believing is a little bit different from knowing him. Knowing him as your substitute redeemer, the one that paid your sin debt. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask our thy blessing upon our message tonight.